Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Shit Show. Welcome to the world of the media. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Another week. Another week. It's getting a bit cold here in New Zealand, eh? It's really cold. <laughs> weather chat. Like, launch straight the weather chat. <laughs> Me and Ruby have spent too much time together that we've got nothing else to talk about anymore. Literally. So anyway, how's your week been, Robes? I think you can't help but kind of feel a bit of a heaviness this week with everything that's been going on. Exactly. And from my point of view, doing the Instagram responsibility this week, I feel like everyone, if you're listening to this, you're probably across what's happening in America right now. It is all we're thinking about at the moment. We do really want to speak to it. And we want to figure out the right way to speak to it. For the meantime, if you do want to follow what's happening and know how you can do better while... America is in complete turmoil. You can come to our Instagram. We've got some amazing people giving some amazing resources and we're doing our best to share reliable content and to help in any way that we can. So come and see us there if you're feeling helpless or you just do want to know more because it's really important that we don't stay silent on this. So aside from all of the news, what else have you been consuming this week, Luce? Well, It's kind of topical, actually, because I watched the Michelle Obama documentary on Netflix, Becoming. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I really, really want to see it. It's on my list. Yeah, so I read the book and I didn't know if watching the documentary is going to be useful or not because I thought maybe it's just reflecting exactly what the book says. But it's Michelle Obama, so like, why did I even question that? It is an amazing documentary. However, it left me feeling really sad about the state of America. And this was before the riots and the killing of George Floyd. Just like a sense of hopelessness. Exactly, that's what it is. Because it feels to me like America has moved backwards to the point where it's almost unfathomable that Mm. the Obama family occupied the White House at all. And I just feel like any steps forward that came from that feel like We've now taken like 100 steps back. Yeah, 100 steps back. Feels like it would never happen anymore. And they're just an amazing family. And Michelle Obama is an amazing woman. And what I love about the documentary and about Michelle as a person is you don't have to use her husband as clickbait or as advertising or as anything. People want her for her. I want to know about her for her. Yes, I love Obama, but I love that she is separate from him. And he does have a little cameo in the documentary. He kind of comes across as a bit of a dad and he's real cute. And she's just so personable. Like, there's one part in the documentary where she's on stage as part of her book tours and one of the stops. She says, like, you know, she wanted to raise her kids to have to make their beds. She had to, like, argue with the White House housekeepers saying, like, no, make the kids make their beds. And then when the kids said, Mum, you let the housekeepers make your bed, and Michelle was just like... Yeah, well, I'm the first lady. (laughs) 
And I just thought, like... The sass, yeah, I love it. The sass. And we can take it from her because she's so reputable mm. in the work she does. Yeah. She's not just the first lady. She's amazing. So, yeah, guys, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. I wonder, would she ever consider running for president herself? She said no. And she oh. says it in her book as well. Because... That would be amazing. It would just be kind of the dream come true. The like dream come true. Another Obama, but... A woman as a well. Woman. No, that would be amazing. But she has said oh, wow. quite steadfastly that she won't. Um, Ruby, so what have you been consuming this week? My um, recommendation yeah. is also a documentary, and it is the Jeffrey Epstein four-part series on Netflix oh, um, called yeah. Jeffrey Epstein Filthy Rich. And I know that you've also watched... A couple of episodes. I've watched the first episode and I'm obsessed, but yeah. tell me more. Yeah, so I binged this. Mm-hmm. I just finished it last night. Okay. And it is insane. We heard about it all on the news and everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I ever really realized the mass scale that this was happening. Me too. And we were talking about this the other day, but how they compared it to a sexual pyramid scheme. Yeah, and, and- I think that is a way that really helped me understand what was going on and could help so many people to recognize how the cycle kind of worked as well. And just the way that he was able to use his money and his influence and his intimidation to really manipulate the entire American justice system Mm -hmm. right up to the very top. He's friends with Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, you know, and he used these high connections to stop it getting out. He would threaten the media from reporting on it. Yeah. It's pretty insane. And that's scary because he's not the only one doing that. And that's power versus the justice system. It's yeah. like social power versus mm-hmm. the justice system. I really found it interesting because I love a good conspiracy theory. Yeah. They went into his death and, I mean, spoiler alert, obviously he yeah. died. <laughs> For me, it's like... How convenient that he died, considering all of the information on these very powerful men, some of the most Mm -hmm. powerful men in the world, he could have incriminated a lot of people. And I think the fact that on the night that he died, the prison guards were sleeping, Mm -hmm. that all the cameras weren't working, I just, I don't know. Something's fishy? To me, yeah. And so do they go into that in the documentary? A a little bit. I think they don't want to allege anything happened, but they do kind of... Have to report on all sides of... Do what when raise died. some interesting questions. Yeah. And I remember, because I've only watched the first episode, but one of the bits that I really loved, and another bit that made it understandable to the masses, which is what we love, because it's mm. what we try to do, is referring to him as this Gatsby-like character. Yeah, he was like this very elusive, untouchable man. Mm, with kind um, of new money, but yeah, like, where's a lot of A lot of mystery around him. Mm-hmm. And they do go, even now, how he made his money, there is a lot of mystery, and there is a lot of corruption around it. Obviously, he was a sick man. A sick and man. He, there was that pattern throughout his entire career, yeah. for sure. Yes, no, I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of that documentary. And we'll probably chat about it again on the pod because I'll probably rave about it. Probably. So here's the story, folks. So today, guys, on the podcast, we are going to each bring you a headline or a story that captured us this week. And then we're going to dive into a chat about how Simon Bridges got rolled from the New Zealand National Party and who is his new successor, Todd Muller. So stay tuned for all of that. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? Okay, so my 
story that I really want to talk about and that I'm sure you guys have been seeing, although it has kind of been buried a little bit by the riots happening in America. Um, Donald Trump has signed an executive order targeting social media platforms after Twitter fact-checked him. So, Rubes, you heard about this? I have been I've, – I've seen a lot of stories on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actively kind of tried to avoid it because I knew you really wanted to speak to it in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, I just knew that you'd be able to yeah. sum it up for me really nicely. So oh, cool. I truly can't wait yeah. to – figure out what is actually going on it's really nice that you come to these podcasts wanting to be educated by me no but that's nice and also it's really good because you can ask me questions and hopefully questions that everyone will be having yeah no i'm ready i'm ready to learn okay so first of all i think it'll be helpful if i just quickly say what an executive order is so an executive order is a type of written instruction that presidents use and only presidents can use to kind of work their will through the executive branch of a government it fast-tracks their motives. And yeah, it can only be done by a president. Okay. So this story is about how Trump has signed one of these executive orders against social media platforms. And it all kind of started because Twitter slapped a fact-check label onto some of his tweets about how mail-in voting is linked to voter fraud, which is not actually true, but that's a whole other story. So after Twitter put... The fact checks on these tweets. Twump. <laughs> Twump. Twump tweeted. <laughs> Trump tweeted, accusing Twitter of interfering in the 2020 presidential election, adding that the platform is completely stifling free speech and vowed, I as president will not allow it to happen. He then promised big action and big action we are getting. Like his favorite medium. Mm-hmm. Of just getting his fucking fake news out there mm-hmm. is Twitter. Like it you is. just see him just ranting and raging every day on Twitter. I don't. I genuinely don't think anything could make him more mad than I know. Twitter trying to rein him in. And that's why he's jumped to an executive order on this, which is like the quickest way he can get his will through because Twitter's pissed him off. He's like, "Fuck the riots! I want to. Yeah. I want to take down Twitter." Yeah, it would have been really funny if Twitter put a fact check label on his <laughs> "big action is coming" tweets. Um, so anyway, just a quick update to this. So after Twump, <laughs> after Twump, after yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a Tweety Bird kind of character. <laughs> no, so after Trump um, signed the executive order, which we are getting to soon, um, he tweeted about the protests going on in Minneapolis and he called the protesters essentially thugs and said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And Twitter's moderation team jumped on that and put a warning over that tweet saying that it was glorifying violence. You can still see the tweet, but it just kind of safeguards it and makes you click through. And then the White House went and tweeted the same thing and Twitter slapped a warning label over that as well. So his executive order is saying that he wants social media platforms to be treated like publishers not like platforms, and face the same legal implications that publishers do. So in Trump's announcement of the order, he said, currently social media giants like Twitter receive an unprecedented liability shield based on the theory that they are a neutral platform, not an editor with a viewpoint. 
My executive order calls for new regulations under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to make it that social media companies that engage in censoring or any political conduct will not be able to keep their liability shield. So right now, social media platforms have what's called a liability shield, which means that people can come in public forums and post whatever they want and the platform isn't held liable for it because it's not their voice. If you tweet something, Twitter isn't liable for that fake news. But Trump's saying that if these platforms like Twitter or Facebook remove content or fact-check content, they shouldn't have legal immunity. They should be treated as though they were the publishers of those tweets. So this means that like Twitter or Facebook or whatever could face legal jeopardy if someone tweets fake news on their platform. How will this even be policed? Does that mean that every tweet that goes through has to be kind of almost mm-hmm. go through like a vetting? Yeah, it means that there'll be no more instant tweeting or whatever. It would be like... Everything has to be permitted through. Yeah, so no one's going to be using these platforms anymore. The platforms won't get any money because no one wants to have everything that they say or think policed. But this is confusing me because it's almost like... But Trump kind of... Isn't that going to be putting more kind of provisions on him? The amendment that he wants to change is actually a massive amendment that he benefits from. The plot thickens. It sure does. So, Trump wants to essentially revise how Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is interpreted. So, this act basically lays out the rules of online media. It was put forward in 1996, so it probably does need a bit of updating now, but not in the way that Trump wants. So this um, Section 230 Mm. states that if you own or run the platform, you're not responsible for what other people post there. So if if you own Twitter, you're not liable for what people post. So the executive order is saying that the legal immunity that these platforms currently have, because they are not viewed as publishers, they're viewed as platforms, won't apply if a social network edits content posted by its users, like what they did to Trump. So they would be held liable for editing or fact-checking what Trump has said because they've turned into a publisher rather than just a platform. Is this, is this just a, a big revenge tactic? Trump is angry that Twitter started taking, you know, started removing and mm-hmm. kind of putting a shield on his tweets. Mm-hmm. And so Trump's like, I want to make it so hard for Twitter to put out everything because they have to fact check everything. Yeah. So people are just going to stop using the platform. Yeah. So he wants to basically stop this from being a public forum. If he can't use it his way, then he yeah. doesn't want anyone to use Which it. Is Bullshit. And the thing is, is Trump's not the only pre- person or president that's been fact-checked by Twitter. So, like, also in Brazil and in Venezuela, um, Twitter's put fact-checks on unproven information about COVID-19 mm. tweeted by officials there. So it's just that Trump uses Twitter so much to get his rhetoric through that now that he's being fact-checked, he's angry like, about it. He's, yeah, fuck this platform and all social media platforms they now have to be liable for every single thing anyone posts on wow. their platform. It is interesting, though, because it seems like he, it's making it harder on himself. Mm-hmm. Like, he hasn't fully thought 
it through like yeah now you know twitter's gonna completely change potentially Mm -hmm. but also how's he gonna get all his fake news out yeah so trump relies on twitter what is trump without twitter exactly he's struggling to get out any of his thoughts i think without twitter because twitter is a direct vehicle from his brain to the masses yeah and for a long time it hasn't been fact checked this would stop him from tweeting about obamagate Mm. Because Twitter would have to put a fact check on that or they'd be held liable if they let this Obamagate scandal go on and didn't put a fact check thing on it. They could be taken to court because then Twitter is essentially allowing the fake news because they're the publisher now. He's kind of fucked himself. Yeah, he's fucked Well, it won't go through anyway because this is going to be heavily argued in court. And to be honest, by the time this has gone through all the processes... It, the November elections would have happened and he might not even be there. Like this... So an executive order... Still ex- has to go through all the legal processes in the US. It can't just be signed into law. So if platforms like Twitter are to be now held liable for every misleading or defamatory post on their site, it, Twitter would cease to exist. Same with Facebook. Because not only would it be impossible to fact check everyone's thoughts, but it would be so timely like it would take so long to fact check every single post and make sure you weren't posting anything misleading when it's an opinion platform that twitter would lose all appeal it would lose all its money and cease to exist and then trump would be fucked because he'd have to actually go and have press releases when he wants to get some of his screwed up thoughts out there oh my goodness what you said makes sense but the whole thought process behind it doesn't make sense. And well, it's a rash decision, yeah. isn't it, by Trump? But also, it's, it kind of is interesting because... So, guys, this is just future Lucy editing right now. And I just want you to make a quick note of how many times I say Mark Zuckerberg within, like, the next 10 seconds. It's actually really funny. So Mark Zuckerberg disagrees with Twitter fact-checking Trump. Mark Zuckerberg says... And we all know Mark Zuckerberg's a bit contro because Mark Zuckerberg makes a lot of money from the Republican Party. So he doesn't want to be seen censoring people's public opinion. So it's, it's actually really interesting, the conversations that must be going on within Twitter and within Facebook and things like that. Like, it's almost like they need to revise their guidelines about the things that they allow and the things that they don't allow. Because well, I agree that Twitter should be allowed to moderate and fact check I think so too. But then I also agree that that takes them from a platform to having some degree of editorial input. Mm. You know, it's how do you choose what voices you're fact-checking and what you're not. But they can't be held accountable to the same degree that like a newspaper or a magazine is actively writing, editing Mm -hmm. all of their content. They Mm -hmm. can't be expected to do that because then... It just completely mm-hmm. changes what Twitter is, yeah. what social media is. That's what I find so difficult about free speech. Yeah, There's such like a fine line, of, like I'm so for it to an extent, but then it becomes yeah so unhelpful, especially in times like these, mm-hmm. when there is major injustices going on and the fucking president of the United States can... Spew his bullshit and have people believe it. Yeah. Because of free speech which sometimes equals false speech no it's it'll be this will be an interesting case to watch because i don't believe that the executive order will go through i don't believe that twitter facebook youtube are gonna become liable for everything posted on their platforms that's just not gonna happen 
but this is Trump's way of saying Twitter, don't mess with me. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Okay, so my headline this week comes from The Cut by Adrian Green, and the title is Millions of Amy Coopers. They could be your boss or your neighbor or your teacher if disturbed in the wrong way. I really wanted to pick an article that obviously spoke to everything that was going on Mm -hmm. right now in America. And I found that this piece, it had some really good critical thinking points. This story happened on Monday, the 25th of May, which was Memorial Day in America. Mm -hmm. And Amy Cooper, a woman from New York. So Amy Cooper's white. Amy Cooper is a white American woman. Yes. She took her dog to Central Park And despite the park's regulations, being that dogs must remain on their leashes, she let her dog off. This is where she encountered 57-year-old Christian Cooper. They both had the last name, but they're not related. Okay. He is a bird watcher. He's also a black American. Mm Mm-hmm. And he comes up to her and he asks her to follow the rules and please put her dog back on its leash because her dog was scaring away the birds. And Amy Cooper refuses. So Christian starts filming on his phone. Okay. Amy demands that he stops recording her and then threatens to call the police. She tells him, I'm going to tell them that there is an African-American man threatening my life. Oh my gosh. She then does exactly this. She calls the police. And while Christian remains meters away from her, Mm -hmm. she fakes fear, pleading to the police, please send the cops immediately. So Adrian Green, she writes this to be one of the most malicious and deliberate performances of victimization I've ever seen. This story it encapsulates the way that people have been weaponizing their whiteness. Yeah. They're using the systemic racism that privileges white people and they're using that to get what they want. And that's disgusting. And the fact it's- that Christian knew to film it because... The fact that you even have to think about filming it to prove that you haven't done anything wrong shows just how systemic and built into society and the psyche of Americans, especially black Americans, it just, it shows, it speaks volumes that he even had to film it. It's chilling. I think this Amy Cooper woman, she is undoubtedly aware of everything that's been going on. Just the week before, Ahmed Arbery lost his life. Ambriona Taylor. Eric Garner. Didn't Michael this happen Brown. on the same day as George Floyd this, And this was on the same no. day that George Floyd lost his life. After a police officer knelt on his neck until he lost consciousness. Yeah. This decision was calculated. Even though Christian was lucky enough that he was not there when the cop showed up, mm-hmm. that is not the point. She knew the potential of what could happen from this call. By even just saying that there is an African-American man threatening her. She she, knew they'd take it seriously and they'd come down at Mm -hmm. least. And Amy Cooper, this whole conversation isn't directed at you, but it's directed at what you symbolise. And and that is what the whole article is about, is that there's people like this everywhere. They're willing to capitalise off their whiteness. And all because she didn't want to put her dog on back on his leash. I don't even know how to get across how angry and disgusted it makes me feel as a white person in New Zealand. We're so far removed but right now to not educate yourself on what's happening it comes from a place of privilege too because it means that it is not affecting you in any way. I keep seeing this quote shared around social media at the moment and it is if you are neutral in situations of injustice you have chosen the side of the oppressor. And I think everybody, they need to educate themselves. We need to figure out how we can do better. We need to be better. We shouldn't even have the privilege of taking the time and figuring out how to be better. It's like right now, we need 
to find the time and be better. People are going to keep losing their lives. We're the ones that have to change. This is not on black people or any other minority to have to change their culture or who they are. It's us that need to change to allow space for that culture. It is not minorities who are going to be able to change this alone. It is the majority who is going to be able to change this. So everybody needs to be educated. And I agree with what you said about if you're being silent on this, then you're taking the side of the oppressor because it's a privilege not to care about politics. Mm. It's a privilege not to think about race every time you leave the house. Yeah, I think the story that you've brought up is a really important one because even if we don't notice... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Our whiteness helps us every day mm-hmm. in everything we do and that's why we have been trying so hard to report on it on Siska from people who have who have experienced injustice because of their race because coming from us it's not going to mean we can't, shit we can't speak to that experience we can't not speak to all. their experience nor would we ever want to speak to anyone else's experience but we can listen to it we can learn from it and we can champion it we just we just need to do better Okay, and so now we're going to talk about something a little bit closer to home because it's happening in our home. Robes, what are we about to chat about? We are going to chat about the National Party, which is the opposition party in New Zealand right now, mm-hmm. um, and how they have recently gone through a leadership change. Or a leadership role. Yeah. So obviously, Simon Bridges was the previous le- leader of the National Party. He was. And... There was definitely some controversy around him and public support for him was really dwindling. This really took off during COVID-19, during lockdown, when he really went after Jacinda on Facebook. And Um, for the sake of going after her, For the sake of going after her. She had like overwhelming support, not only in New Zealand, but worldwide for Mm -hmm. her response. And I think... There's obviously always going to be opposition, opposition, but given the circumstances, it was pretty. It was pretty incredible what she was doing. But Simon just absolutely went after on Facebook, and it was pretty tone deaf. It was like read the room. The the lack of social awareness was just insane, and that added to just a lot of public disapproval and. The response to his Facebook post mirrors how we're kind of talking about it now. It Mm -hmm. was pretty overwhelming and negative response. Mm -hmm. People were openly saying, I used to vote national, but because of you and because of the way that Jacinda has handled herself, Mm -hmm. I am like Mm pro-Jacinda. Because you're not really going to benefit from opposition just for the sake of opposition because people can read right through that. We're not dumb. No. So, yes, his um, handling of COVID and then... Obviously, when you're compared to someone like Jacinda, it's not going to be easy to get mass approval. So that contributed to some pretty bad polling results. Yeah, so 
News Hub released a pretty disastrous poll where it showed that National was down 12.7% to 30.6%, while Labour, which is Jacinda's party, Mm -hmm. was up 14% at 56.5%. And this is pretty unheard of in New Zealand. Um, In elections, there's never really like a landslide win. Mm -hmm. Labour and National are both at either side of like middle middle ground. Yeah. Um, and they kind of have to fight to get enough seats to then make a government with someone yeah, else. Yeah, like to get a coalition government. Mm. So, I mean, obviously polls, we can't take them as fact. Mm-hmm. Um, as we learned in the 2016 elections. Exactly. America. But New Zealand never really has like kind of that landslide win. Mm-hmm. So to, to show such a a huge margin between yeah. the percentages, between national and labour, definitely is a huge red flag. Yeah. And the poll also noted that Bridges as New Zealand's preferred prime minister ranking was down to only 4.5%. So he That's is actually nuts. He is the leader of the major opposition party and mm-hmm. only 4.5% of New Zealand wanted him as the leader. The leader. So so that disastrous to say the least. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it was it was awful and it was kind of it was a writing on the wall. So, of course, that led to the leadership challenge. So, when we say leadership challenge, we mean that during lockdown, there were kind of some rumblings happening within the National Party about a change of leadership. I think National was really scared. They knew that with Bridges as their leader, the likelihood of them winning the election was pretty slim, Mm -hmm. as the poll did show. It did show. So how then, Ruby, did it go from some internal rumblings to Simon Bridges essentially versus Todd Muller? So Todd Muller is a pretty, well, he was a pretty unknown member of the National Party. Mm -hmm. He sent out an email to his national colleagues on Wednesday afternoon, a couple of weeks ago, saying he had notified Simon Bridges and the party president that he would be seeking a ballot for leadership of the New Zealand National Party as soon as convenient for the caucus. So he also noted in his email that it is essential for National to win this election and that was not possible under the current leadership. So this is like, he's going after mm-hmm. that leadership role. Yeah. And, he, and he's fully just absolutely... He, he doesn't believe that National is going to win the election under Simon Bridges yeah. and fair enough so, but bold move, yeah, Muller. Especially for someone who nobody saw this coming from him. No. I was going to say, especially from someone that doesn't really have a leg to stand on, but look at where we are now. So that would be unfair of me. So this email sent around, it is made public, um, and Bridges calls an emergency caucus meeting for the National Party. Um, And it's pretty incredible because Bridges was very confident. I know. That despite this awful poll, despite Muller's, you know, coup almost mm-hmm. um he's still very confident that there will be momentum within this party to keep bridges in that top position and he called the meeting so quickly after finding out about muller's bid that he kind of thought right let's get this over with yeah. and move on and keep you know yeah and if he calls it quickly then he thought that he wouldn't be giving muller time to kind of gather the votes he needed mm-hmm. and hopefully people would just stick with the status quo i guess but spoiler alert this didn't happen. So how did Muller get the votes? Well, apparently he had previously 
before the caucus meeting, spoken to all 55 national MPs. And apparently they they all seem to mirror his own view that with Bridges, they wouldn't be able to win. I don't know if every single one of them maybe was confident in Muller, but they were confident that Bridges was not the one. Yeah, I um, read that by Thursday morning, so the meeting was on Friday, by Thursday morning they knew, they were seriously confident that they had the numbers to roll Simon Bridges and that the first draft of his winning speech was actually worked on on Wednesday night. So on the Wednesday night. So they had an operation going and they were pretty confident that they had the numbers. And I saw an interview, not to give time to conspiracy, but Mm. I saw an interview with John Campbell and he kind of was almost kind of alleging that maybe Todd Muller did have this coup in the works for a little while. Since February, yeah, at least. Yeah, since February, he... Um, he looked at his travel expenses, didn't he? His, his travel expenses were second only to Simon Bridges. So John Campbell was kind of asking, were you going around? Were you talking to people? Were you trying to get the support? He wasn't even asking. Do you remember? He was just like, so this was in the yeah, works, wasn't like, it? It was a very hard interview. Yeah, and Todd Muller did say... No, I'm the agricultural Hmm. minister. You know, this is my job to go and talk to farmers. So who knows? But considering, I mean... John Campbell alleges it, so we're at least going to take it with a couple grains of salt. (laughs) But, Luce, who the fuck is Todd Muller? I mean, apparently not many people know it all. There was quite a funny um, We News segment where people, where his photo was going around and people on the street were looking at it and asked who he is and nobody really had a clue. Nobody really knew. But actually, guys... We all know who Todd Muller is by association. Todd Muller is the boomer from Chloe Swarbrick's OK Boomer viral video. That is amazing. That is my favourite fact about Todd Muller to date. <laughs> it's the only thing. That's... Yeah, he, he was OK Boomered by the legend yep. Chloe Swarbrick. The legend Chloe Swarbrick. So, yeah, if you think you don't know who he is, think again. So, Todd Muller grew up in a small farming settlement called Tapuna, which is just north of Tauranga. He went to a local Catholic convent school there, and he actually said in an interview last year that he was the only Pākehā boy there for two years, which is really interesting because later on in the podcast we'll be talking about the kind of lack of Māori representation in his shadow cabinet. Yeah, I think overwhelmingly since, you know, Todd Muller took over Simon Bridges, people have just been saying, well, he's another white Catholic man with an agricultural background, mm-hmm. you know, from a farming background. Yep. Like like most of the national kind Yeah, of- he's just, he's mm-hmm. nothing new. And he's not, that he's not. But that's not to say, of course, that he won't bring new, new ideas. elements. Yeah, of course. So he's been in Parliament since 2014. So he was the MP for the Bay of Plenty and... Kind of a fun detail about his political career is that he did consider running in the nearby Tauranga electorate when it became vacant in 2008, but he didn't end up putting in a nomination, which was eventually won by who, Ruby? Simon Bridges. Yes. So they've always kind of been vying for that top spot. Mm. I think some of his other achievements that is definitely noteworthy to talk about is that he is for climate change. Or at least not I a mean, climate change denier. He's, yeah, he's, <laughs> he is. He is not a climate change denier, and he's for he's well, for taking action to help the environment. Well, kind of. Well, kind of. 
So he played a big part in kind of getting National on board with the Greens to work closely on the Zero Carbon Bill. So he worked with James Shaw, who we love over here at Siska. The co-leader of the Green Party. Mm -hmm. So with a National, he was for a while the climate change spokesperson, which is really good because it means that he has the knowledge of climate change to bring it into his new leadership position, yeah, which it, I like. Make it more of a mainstream argument and something that they do actually talk to. So though he did help get this zero carbon bill over the line, there is still quite a bit of argument that his involvement did weaken what the bill said um, in the end. So it did need National to be on board for it to get over the line, which is great, but it wasn't exactly the bill that James Shaw initially wanted which is fine you kind of win some you lose some yeah I mean I've heard arguments that this is probably why it was more viable because yeah. it wasn't as some would say extreme yeah but it some wasn't would just say necessary necessary yeah it, de- it depends what side mm. you're on so Muller does still believe that dairy farming for New Zealand is the way to go. And this is kind of reflected as well because he moved from climate change spokesperson into having the agriculture portfolio within mm-hmm. National. So um, Muller has been staunchly opposed to any suggestion that New Zealand should climb down from what he calls peak cow. So this means that he kind of fought to keep agriculture out of the emissions trading scheme and he wanted to lower the methane reduction targets because he still does believe that dairy farming and cows are holding up New Zealand. This is quite a backwards view on pro-climate change because New Zealand's agricultural industry is obviously one of the, if not the highest, contributors to Mm. climate change Yeah, because of the methane emissions, right? Um, So it's quite niche and not something I necessarily agree with at all. Mm. Um, He also has championed this approach of waiting for technology to reduce methane from livestock. So kind of an anti-like... Anti-making change now and wait for the technology to come to make change. So it's kind of like he recognises that there's a problem in the amount of methane that livestock emit. But he doesn't want to actively do anything about it Yeah, he's waiting for the technology to come and help. And I guess... Moving from the climate change spokesperson into the agricultural portfolio would be a hard and interesting jump. Yeah, definitely. Because you're dealing with farmers, and this is their backbone, Yeah, right? and this is a huge part of the New Zealand economy. Of course it is. And actually, while there are a lot of farmers doing some great things, trying to um, make their dairy farming more ethical and create less emissions and things like that, which is fantastic, it would still be hard to stand up in front of rooms and rooms of farmers who are so often argumentative of the climate change argument, if you want to call it that, that you would have to have quite a backbone to be able to go Mm. in there. And And yeah, I think he's done well to still maintain a pro... To maintain his climate change stance, that it is happening and we do need to address it while having the agriculture portfolio. Yeah, for sure. And coming from... He worked in Fonterra, didn't he? And big farming industries i still am hopeful that his background in climate change can become part of nationals yeah it will be interesting to see how much of that he will bring 
you know, to his new leadership role. Mm-hmm. But of course, his first week in office wasn't without its hiccups. No, it, it was certainly a, was not. It was quite a wild ride. I do feel bad for the guy because he did fuck up a few times and then some of our really good interviewers did kind of hone in on him, which fair enough, mm. but I would have been sweating. So it all started with that damn Make America Great Again hat. Yeah, so um, I actually read a quite a funny piece in the spinoff about this, which gives a good background to the mega hat. So Todd Muller was obsessed with US politics. In fact, he actually thought he was going to become the US president. Oh, don't we all as a kid? I mean, don't we? But his obsession with US politics started um, when he got an American encyclopedia, which his parents bought for him. And basically, he would spend hours looking at the biographies of the US presidents, copying their signatures, drawing (laughs) pictures of them, which is quite a funny thing to imagine. It's like he's stand US politicians. (laughs) Anyway, so he's accumulated a bit of American paraphernalia. And among these items is a Make America Great Again hat that he has displayed in his Bay of Plenty office this interview from the spin-off that was done on him before he was the leader they went to his office they saw the hat and they said he declined to take a photo on the hat so it was there on display it wasn't hidden when he was doing this interview um but then this obviously when he became the leader this was a controversy because he owned it and because of america right now because new zealand we don't want a leader who is pro-trump no. But I think apparently he does also have a Hillary Clinton badge. That he says people just aren't focusing on enough because we're focusing on the hat. Which, of course of we course are. Of course we are. <laughs> During his move to his new leader's office, he has said... Uh, I packed it up in a box when it left the, uh, uh, the office round. It's gone uh, now, is it? And it'll stay in the box. And I do think it's really funny that um, Winston Peters has sent him a... New Zealand made trucker cap for him to wear instead. I know, like, of course, Winston's. He sent it just in this brown paper bag to the office, like, by one of his staffers. I think that's a really funny Winston Peters thing to do. But yes, the hat will not be on display, but it did come into the limelight this week. Mm -hmm. Now, on a bit of a more serious note, he did have a bit of, dare we say, mini scandal this week when he announced his shadow cabinet. Yes. So Todd Muller unveiled his shadow cabinet last Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became very clear how overwhelmingly white mm-hmm. this was. So there was not one Maori person in his top 12. Um, however, when asked about this, there was a bit of a hiccup. Oh, I'm cringing, honestly, just thinking about this. Shall we, shall we play some of the audio? Yeah, we'll pop some audio about this hiccup in here. How many Māori MPs are there in your shadow cabinet? Uh, well, I have, of course, uh, uh, Shane Paul. Retty and uh, Paula Bennett. And, and, and obviously Paul, Golds- Paul Goldsmith, obviously, is of, of Ngāti Paro. Yeah. Obviously. Paul Goldsmith is your only Māori MP in your top 12, is that right? Uh, uh, yes, I think, because I think uh, Paula uh, uh, Bennett is uh, uh, 13. Problem is, no one told Paul Goldsmith. So off Nikki Kay went and dug in. Paul does have Nati Perot consent. Nati Perot descent. No, 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 not, not, not touching. I'm not, not Māori myself. 
So, to be clear... My great-great-grandfather had uh, European wives and Māori wives, and so I've got lots of relatives across the Ngāti Paro. I don't claim to be Māori myself. So, in that audio, you heard his deputy, Nikki Kay, say that Paul Goldsmith is of Ngāti Paro, which then you heard Paul Goldsmith say that actually, no, he's not. His grandfather had many Pākehā and Māori wives but he's never claimed to be mouldy. So this was a bit of a gaffe, wasn't it, Rubes? Yes, and then when Muller was asked about this very whitewashed cabinet of his, he did go on the defence Yeah, and said he wasn't going to change it and that MPs shouldn't be chosen based on their culture or ethnicity, that he chose his cabinet based on merit, which... is such a bullshit response. It just, it lacks a lot of social awareness and it yeah it just disregards the Maori community it does completely and I just think it's important to say that while we've talked about privilege a lot in this podcast that to reward some or to give someone a job based purely on merit is not really enough because gaining merit is often because of the opportunities that you've been able to have because of either the race you're born into, the gender you identify as. We don't all start life on an even playing field. No. And I think to make those kind of uneducated comments, you're just completely disregarding that. And especially in politics, when you are meant to be advocating for all these different communities, you need to have representation, especially in your cabinet or high up in your cabinet for these communities. Because, like we've talked about earlier, you cannot speak for these people. You cannot speak to the Māori experience if you are not Māori. Exactly. And you're not going to be making good and authentic decisions on behalf. In fact, you should not be making decisions on behalf whatsoever. So, yeah, I think this is more than just a gaffe. It's actually a bit of a systemic issue. And the National Party, if not just Muller, need to... They need, to take, they need to take ownership of this mistake that they made and remedy it. They do. So, yeah, his first week has been... It's had its, it's, had its ups and it's definitely had its downs. Um, but the thing is, I think some people... Maybe you can see that this was kind of a harsh, you know, first week on Muller. We He was really pummeled mm-hmm. in some of the interviews that we did watch. But the thing is, if you're going to roll someone, if you're going to kind of create an internal coup and overtake the leadership overtake the leader then we need to know why Why? you know we need to know why why he thought he was going to do a better job than simon bridges and fair enough that he had a rough first week because you've got a lot to answer to when you've kind of arrived out of nowhere and taken over the national party exactly hopefully he'll breathe some life back into the national party yeah i guess It will be interesting to see, with the election coming up, whether this creates internal dispute within the National Party or whether he can somehow turn it around with this economic package that he's promising. Yes, and um, I think having his deputy, Nikki Kay, who, I mean, Mullet, he did vote against abortion and also the euthanasia bill, Mm -hmm. but his deputy leader, Nikki Kay, is for those things. Hopefully she can sway his opinion, Yeah, to be I think having, having that very balanced um, leadership partnership mm-hmm. is quite a strategic move by him. He is kind yeah. of almost hoping to... Speak guess, to the voters that would vote liberally on yeah, hoping Yeah, hoping to speak to the more liberal mm-hmm. national voters. Um, I don't know. I'm interested to see where it will go and if it will be enough to overtake Jacinda. 
And I really hope it's not enough to overtake Jacinda because no. I love her. And you guys can do what you want. You can make your own decisions. We thought we'd bring you some of the facts on the new leader. But um, anyway, before me and Ruby get too far into the soap opera that is politics, thank you all for coming and listening to another episode of The Shit Show. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a random one. We've spoken to some pretty fucking heavy topics. Some very heavy topics. And I mean just want to say like if you are feeling really down about the world right now and feeling very hopeless you are validated and feeling that way I think we all are but yeah just make sure you're looking after yourself and come and see us and we can point you in the direction of some help or you know we can have a yarn we also have a facebook group called the shit you should care about squad which you can come and join if you want to chat more about these things more than ever it's about being there for one another and helping each other do better yeah and be better and feel better and we love you guys and we really do appreciate you coming to us yeah thank you so much for listening and we shall see you next week bye Bye. Bye. I am shy. <laughs>